I am excited to introduce our guest for today. He is none other than international influencer, superstar, OG Bitcoiner from the class of 2010, here to regale us with tales of both fact and fiction. Marshall Long, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm assuming you all got your World Economic Forum gas masks in the mail. So I did not. I've been a little too outspoken against the WEF that the postcard they sent was you will get coal in the mail shortly. Oh, Once okay. we have enough coal. Well, I came with the cricket protein as well. I don't know if you got that add-on or... No, see, I actually specifically said do not send me the cricket meat. So That's I, your I, loss, that, man. I know. I kind of yeah, I, I asked for I asked for shrimp meat though. Yeah, I actually I'm, I'm so glad you reminded me, Marshall. I've been remiss. I have as an avid supporter of the WEF, I, I have not been wearing my mask, but seeing you and yours uh, reminded me to get mine. So I will be putting it on in a second. I also did specifically request the protein slurry enema option. So I'm actually doing that right now as we speak, and uh, I can feel the invigorating, you know, nutrients in my body. With the enema for efficiency's sake, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to put my mask on too, just to be in support because here we're all about, you know, supporting each other and inclusion, uh, you know, in, yeah, yeah, inclusion, supporting the narrative, all that stuff. So my God, you're looking good. So I see you got the, the, the streamlined version all to the efficiency. The streamlined fit looks great. You look good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you can hear me just as clearly as before. Absolutely. I hope that you feel left out Q and you feel the shame you're supposed to feel right now. I just, I, I want it for anyone listening only. What is happening right now on the screen is I have both Marshall Long, our guest for today, and P openly admitting that they are WEF moles and are preparing for the gas that the WEF is going to disperse onto all of us. And they are wearing their gas masks in preparation of this moment. I, I, I'm not quite sure what you're thinking, Q. Listen, if there's one or maybe thing your I, farts are just that bad. Listen, one or the other. I know Janet Yellen, Gary Gensler, and Jay Powell know what's best for me. Okay, that's what I know. Okay, yeah, I'm, that's fair. I, hey, man, I'm happy for you. In this country, you have the right to choose, and you can make that choice and determination. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. And I support you on this journey. <laughs> How the hell's it going, boys? Amazing. My friend, let's get into who you are and why you're fucking amazing. You have been in the space for a million years since, what, 2012, 2013, even earlier, maybe? Yeah, so I started mining late 20, November 2010. So coming, up on, coming up on my anniversary, as they say. Shit. Not only that, not only have you been in the mining space for almost 12 years, it sounds like, but you are also, you've been a major player in the space. You've been, you know, you were part of the block size wars. You more recently were one of the founders of Plebnet, which is a group that is focused on education and exploring what is possible in the Lightning Network. You are an incredible memer and a close personal friend. What else? What did I miss? You missed I, I, that I'm also an international icon when it comes to the influencer game. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> we, we are in the presence of truly elite influencer talent right now, P. Can you define for the audience what that means? What do you mean when you say that exactly? 
listen, when you're a man of my influence and stature and you post a simple tweet with a video that has nothing to do with you or anybody you know, and it gets 500,000 likes, you know, not a big deal, you know, and then Elon likes it. That's just kind of my day to day, you know. One of the things I really appreciate about you is how humble you are, Marshall. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I randomly just tweeted some video and it popped off a couple of days ago as well. To be clear, this is not a video that you either neither are in nor took. You no. just posted it. I was just like, oh, this is cool. And it just took off. <laughs> Internet's a weird place, man. You're listening at home. You can do it too. You can be an international influencer like Marshall. Good luck. Good luck. Both of us have been trying for years, Q. We fail every day, but we're here. We're trying hard. We're going to make it. That's the mistake you make. You try, P. See, if I don't try, then I didn't fail. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but let's dive into it. What are we here to talk about other than, you know, boofing cricket protein and the WEF agenda? Hey, look, I'm here to talk about whatever you kind, gentle lads would like to discuss. I'm an open book. All right. I've been through it all. And uh, today's just another day in mining paradise, you know? Tell us more about that. I mean, there have been a lot of liquidations in the mining space lately. The oh, yeah. hash rate is continuing to scream up even as the, you know, USD price of Bitcoin continues to crab walk sideways as it has for the last, what, fucking six, 12 months. What's the, what's it like on the ground being a miner and being in these rooms with a lot of people who are suffering during this period? So this feels a lot like 2013 and 2014 and 15. Um, those I was fortunate enough to make my mistakes those early days. And then when the price runs up, you obviously have people that have overbuilt and, you know, that are frankly fiat maximalists in disguise getting absolutely rinsed. And I'm fucking here for it, boys. I'm here for it. And when you say... Just to dig into that a little bit more, when you say like fiat maximalists in disguise, what you're talking about is basically people over leveraging in order to purchase too many miners during the bull market. And then correct me if I'm wrong, as the price goes down, they sort of go underwater and then they have to liquidate their their assets in order to stay solvent. Is that like sort yeah, of fuck so, that up? So that the normal kind of like process, the way that things kind of go is when the price runs. People get all excited and they'll build and buy on the way to the top. Problem is the tops are really short and mining is two things more than anything else. It's an OPEX exercise, getting your OPEX as low as possible, and it's a timing exercise. So the people that are bad at both are the people who are getting absolutely smoked. And so people who aren't doing their proper due diligence or hiring the right people to help them with power negotiations or going into a new power market like Texas and don't understand that you're a slave to the power market. If you do it wrong, that these are kind of things that, that we were fortunate enough to learn in 2013 and 14, where you, you got to time the market right. And it's sometimes better to build slower and smarter than it is to try to catch the top. Yeah. And I, just to, let's think of that a little bit more. You kind of alluded to these different strategies that miners who are being paid by the network to secure the Bitcoin blockchain can take during these various periods, right? Because we have the four-year halving cycle. And, you know, during the 
bear markets, as I understand it, the price of the hardware, the OPEX, as you put it, and the, you know, the installations that you have to put in place, the, the, not the power grids, but the actual, you know, systems that support those miners, um, during the bear markets, those tend to be less expensive. And then as, as everybody gets excited during the bull markets, those, those contracts, that infrastructure, certainly the ASICs themselves go up in price. And so it's kind of, when you say timing the market, it's trying to figure out when you should be buying hardware maybe versus buying power contracts and, and the related things. What are some of the broad strategies that people take and how have those strategies changed since, you know, over the, 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 the bear markets that you've been through? Yeah, this, this time is interesting. So most of the power in the States is you can kind of track with the price of natural gas. And this is the first time we've had a bear market and a war at the same time. And so the price of gas went ballistic this summer and also in the spring of this year. And so the price of power went crazy. So there were people with tons of gear sitting on the sidelines who then were forced with the question, do they try to sell the hardware and take a loss? Do they try to lock in a power contract at the peak of the natural gas and plug the machines in and start mining them, or do they just kind of sit on their hands and wait? So all during this time, also the S&P is getting smoked. So all the public guys are also getting squeezed on the share price. It's really hard to get money now in the public side. And so they, these multiple facets of the bear market, not just in Bitcoin, but globally, really squeeze people to the people who timed it and built it right. There's ways to overbuild your infrastructure, which is a big no-no. There are ways to just buy what's readily available, which is a big no-no, and, and you're starting to pay the price. I, I'll quote Adam Beck. He told me once that the best Bitcoin miners are the ones who can build the cheapest chicken shack data center. And that's very true. It's always been true. And so the more that people build out, they now have overhead, employees, insurance, benefits, all these kinds of things that coupled with a lack of hedging products on a larger scale, a very liquid product for hedging your strategy just isn't there. And so people are getting smoked. I want to ask a very direct question on this. And this is not because I'm taking notes to do this on my own secretly, but like you're going to fail. genuinely, if you, if there have been a lot of new entrants into the Bitcoin space, especially since 2020. There are a lot of people who want to build and contribute, but are trying to figure out how. What are just like some quick tips for someone who wants to have a scaled out mining operation? Not just like a small at home, but not like an industrial. Like they want to have an operation, but they want to start it now. What would, sure. what would be some advice? And I would say, clear, are you asking for a friend, Q? Yes. My friend who just so happens to conveniently live in his mother's basement in a state that has very, very high energy costs. Sure. So number one move is what I would say. I, I can tell you what a lot of people do that is effective is don't use what I would call prosumer level mining as a way to necessarily make additional money. So I can tell you what I recently did. I bought an office building that has, it's a small office building, but also had a data center attached to it, gutted it, sold all the scrap. And then there just happened to be a megawatt of power there. We're not going to use that to run like TVs and projectors. So let's just plug some machines in, 
do it right. Don't turn the AC on. And now you can use that as a tax advantage way to depreciate your assets over the first year. You can use that to help. If you can run it profitably, you can use it to pay your property tax. You can use it to, you know, help subsidize the operation of another business, if that makes sense. So now this office is effectively owned outright. It is a, a little bit more than break even. And I was able to take a loss on the business this year to reduce my tax burden because I was able to depreciate, accelerate the depreciation schedule of the machines. So there are other ancillary reasons why you might mine as an attachment to a normal business. This is super helpful. I now have some, I mean, my friend now has some office buildings to go check out. I also love that, Marshall, you're like, I mean, look, I just brought like just a, a tiny office building with like a data center attached. Like, no, no, MBD, MBD, you know, who hasn't? It, it's it's actually very small. It's, it's, it was just, I was just driving down the road and I, I glimpsed it and I was like, oh, okay, let's see. And it said data center for auction. And it's just a tiny little rinky dink place that was owned previously by a Bitcoin miner who did shit wrong in 2017. And got absolutely smoked because they were running the air conditioners to try to cool the machines and just doing things wrong. So if you're if you started as a pleb at home, you know what not to do already. You're not gonna crank your AC all the time. You're gonna put it in the garage and vent the heat out. You already know what to do. Just do it a little bit more. I love it. That's gonna be the full quote. You already know what to do, just do it a little bit more. I want to stay on mining, but I want to bring WEF into the equation for a lot of different reasons that may be true and may not be true. The idea and concept of Bitcoin mining seems to be one of the most triggering things for climate activists, for shit coiners, for anyone who is just against Bitcoin. And in particular, both the energy usage and just proof of work mining in particular, has been put on this sort of like, fuck, I can't think of the word when you're on trial, but it's like on this on trial. The stand. Thank you. It's been put on the stand. And I'd love just your thoughts from conversations around proof of work from the early days before Mt. Gox. Like what were, what were the rationales, justifications for proof of work? And if someone was discussing proof of stake, how much did you bully them into eventually turning them into the supervillain super villain known as Vitalik Buterin? So early days, anybody that says they knew Bitcoin was going to be a huge major hit is a fucking liar. Um, when I first started mining Bitcoin, I was like, oh, I can pay off my GPUs and my GPUs by mining this nerd money. That's awesome. I didn't know anything about economics or financial inclusion or any of the good stuff that we now know and love about Bitcoin. So early, early days, it was that as far as POS, people only used it as like a, a way to trade shit coins. So like early days on, you know, Gox or BTCE or any of these other exchanges, there was like, you know, NXT was like one of the first POS coins. And they were just like a thing to try to R Bitcoin against. It wasn't anything outside of that. And then papers started coming out where people were like, well, it's less secure, blah, blah, blah. And then Vitalik didn't get his way and get his code pushed through Bitcoin, which is a whole nother can of worms. And uh, here we are today. So now that the, the golden boy has relinquished the proof of work dragon, we find ourselves where 
they tried to get us on ESG. That failed miserably because most miners actually use a huge amount of green power. BlackRock tried to put all these ESG mandates out. And so all the other woke capitalists were like, oh, we got to follow this ESG score shit. And then that didn't work. And so then, you know, you got the war. So BlackRock backpedals on their ESG. So everybody else backpedals on their ESG. And now it's all Bitcoin mining is the devil because look at Ethereum. Look what they did. Why can't you do it? And the general answer is because we're not fucking dumb. I mean, there's not much else to say about it, you know? Yeah, it is. It's pretty infuriating for me, at least. Like, I never, I keep expecting to kind of become desensitized to the lies and the blatant misrepresentation of reality and the facts in order to push, you know, the bags of a very specific group of people, which is to say people pushing ESG and anti-Bitcoin narratives. But it just incenses me every fucking time. Well, nobody, look, almost every Bitcoiner I know, they don't have a problem with ESG or green. We like to go outside. We like to, to breathe fresh air. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with treating people nice and like the social, like the governance part of like running a company and not being a crap boss. All that stuff's good. But when you try to leverage it to coerce people to invest in things that you want them to invest in, exactly. that's the fucking problem. And so... You know, nobody's going to say like, oh, yeah, I would prefer to, you know, melt the ice caps and, and mine Bitcoin. Everybody would probably prefer to like be warm in the winter. And, you know, there, there's a reason we can't there's no reason we can't do everything and not be complete pieces of shit about it. So the 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 incentives of the fiat woke nation are completely contorting their messaging. And it's just sloppy at this point. The White House report was a fucking joke. It was just like, they didn't even try. They didn't even try. Nick Carter, they even interviewed Nick Carter and didn't use any of his stuff. He just did a great podcast with Peter and was pretty interested to hear how like they interviewed also many other Bitcoin people and didn't use anybody's info. And so it's very clearly, I'm not even trying to cover it up now. It's a clear targeted attack that, really doesn't have any scientific foundation and the best part is as it starts getting cold in europe this is the part where you, this is this is the part of the story where it's fuck around to find out type situation so yeah it's 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 maddening it's as you say it doesn't have any basis in actual reality the the specific talking points are so divorced from what's actually going on and they're so they're so insane it's i feel like there is a a trap that is very difficult for me at least to not fall into right which is when people are like oh bitcoin uses you know 0.5% or whatever the fuck it is of the the world's energy it's really hard for me to not debate on that claim to be like do you run christmas lights do you dry your own clothes in a dryer do you leave your lights on? Do you drive a car? Well, all these things use way more fucking energy than Bitcoin does just in the United States. But that's actually the wrong frame. Like if you, if you, it's like, if you get down in the mud, you know, you're, you've already lost. The real frame is like, you should not be able, if somebody is paying for electricity, if they're paying for power, or if they're generating it themselves from a pro, from a, a, a product that is considered waste from some other industry, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want with that electricity. And we give that right to every person in America when they buy 
power from the meter. But for some fucking reason with Bitcoin, we try to moralize it. And it's because moralization of stuff, people love to get so bent out of shape about issues that uh, have a, a moral bent, even when it's totally wrong. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Yeah, if you if you kind of zoom out and look at the rest of the globe, it's it's a lot easier to see how none of this actually... Oh, that's good. I've heard Pornhub use 8x the energy of Bitcoin miners. I'd buy it. I'd definitely buy that. The uh, the rest of the world doesn't have issues like this. I recently went to Africa and started looking at ways that mining can help local communities and stuff like that. And the reality is the Western world's problems are not Africa's problems. If the whole global financial sector melts down and Russia bombs the U.S. or whatever, Africa is just going to keep doing its thing. And We'll barely skip a beat. So when people start talking about this, I'll bring up that story about how people in Africa don't use that much power because it's too expensive. Not because they don't necessarily have access to it. It's just because it's a catch-22 cycle where people, the generators are only selling power for four to five hours a day because people only turn their lights on and charge their cell phones. Because of that, they've got to charge them 50, 60 cents a kilowatt hour. Because it's so high, the community doesn't use enough. And so it's like this circle of just terrible incentives. And mining can go in and really kind of tweak those incentives back because there's no central grid in Africa. So you can't sell your power at any time as a generator. But if you attach a mining thing to it, now people are starting to get cheaper, more reliable power. And instead of cooking food with paraffin or cooking food with kerosene, which is like a really dangerous fucking thing to do the amount of people who like get caught on fire for cooking with kerosene or kids who have lung problems from being around you know kerosene lamps and paraffin fires it's really high and so now these people who are attached to mini grids that are mining are seeing their power bills reduce greatly and now are starting to cook with hot plates electric hot plates and stuff like this mining is directly impacting people's quality of life with no filter like it's just straight incentive Everybody makes money. The community saves money. 
not many people are going to say, oh, that's bad, because most of the power is fucking hydro anyway. So there you go. When you tell that story, people shut up pretty quick. So these are this is a very important and powerful conversation, but I, I need to put a pin in it because this just got sent to me on Twitter and this might be the funniest question, funniest situation. And then there is a question to follow. So all these climate activists, P, that you and I have talked about where they go into these museums and throw shit onto paintings and whatnot, it turns out they just broke wait, into- Wait, wait, and super glue their hands to the walls. And, and super glue their hands- That's key. Energetic. Yes, those, those activists. Turns out another group of climate activists have broken into BlackRock headquarters and are protesting inside of BlackRock. And the question I have for the two of you- Whose side are you on right now? Black Rocks or the climate activists? Fuck! <laughs> God damn it! Q asking the hard hitting questions here, Dave. Let's. <laughs> Mark, I, I don't know who I'm supposed to root for here because, like, they're both morons. Listen, man, I'm I'm on my team, okay? And and that's the best part about Bitcoin is I don't have to choose sides. I'm gonna do what I want. And the minute somebody tells me I can't, they're gonna have to come and enforce that policy. Good luck. I'm in Texas. I have a basically a third world country's munition stockpile at my home when you get through that hailstorm of bullet fire then i'll just move somewhere else in mind where people actually need that stuff right i love how you just very expertly dodged the answer to that question the question was do you side with the climate activists who are super gluing their genitals to the side of the blackrock building or do you side with blackrock given that both of them are pieces of shit. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with neither. Firebomb the whole thing, burn it all to the ground. We're gonna burn it all down. We'll build it back the right way. That's right. That's Hell right. yeah. So one of the things that I just jumping off of that, well, actually first Q, do you feel like you got your question, your very reasonable question answered? It absolutely was. Marshall is on the side of BlackRock and UP are on the side of climate activists. That is God correct. Fucking damn it. All right. Listen, I'm going where the money's at, all right? Look at the clothes that these activists are wearing. Come on. I'm trying to Just, go with the dudes with the Oxford shoes, the tight three-piece button-up, all right, the Gucci shades. All right, come on. If I got to pick a side, I might as well be looking good. Right? Fair enough. Fair enough. That's, that's a compelling argument. You referenced something that, that I think is interesting here, which is, you know, the idea that people have to come in and, like, force... You get to choose whatever you want to do. And then if anybody wants to do something different, that's fine, but... If they want to get you to do something different, then they have to force you to do it. And I think that there is another aspect to this, which is one of the things that is so exciting to me about the Bitcoin network and the technology behind it, which is the alignment of incentives. We see again and again that you can do whatever you want, but the economics of the Bitcoin network and the way that it operates reward or discourage certain behaviors based on what the Bitcoin network operators want, ideally what is best for the network. And I think we saw that happen in a very explicit way with the, you know, what is called the, the block size wars, right? Which you had a super interesting experience of and were sort of on the ground interacting with. And I, I'd love to talk more about that. What was your experience during that period? What happened and what have we as a community learned through that and what have you learned as a miner in that process let's start with what happened and then we can go from there sure so this was time when fees were getting very high 
At the same time, the price had started to run up. And I, through a series of meetings and questions, it was very clear that people weren't willing to just change the consensus mechanism of Bitcoin by changing the block size limit from a one to a two megabyte. So myself, Gavin Andreessen, and a guy named Jonathan Tumum started a project called Bitcoin Classic. Bitcoin Classic was literally the same exact code base, except the one of the block size changed to a two. That started a whole shit show of what is now known as the block size wars. As far as reasons why, as a miner, it is in my best interest to try to encourage as much on-chain activity. Therefore, I can make more Bitcoin from transaction fees. However, it is a fine line between that and it being not good for the network. So if the block size goes too high, then there can be big issues with that. So like a project called Bitcoin XT came out that wanted to do, that was with my Kern, wanted to do eight megabytes. There's all kinds of interesting arguments about how the, the network pros and cons with different block sizes. But we started this conversation and it was an interesting learning experience for me. Timing as well was terrible on my part. I had just left an exchange called Cripsy at the time where the CEO stole all the money and ran away. Um, and so I quit, I guess, in September, I think, and he stole everything in December. And then we started Classic in January. And so that gave all kinds of people like, it was a great way to suicide my own reputation. I will say that. Learned a lot of how the Bitcoin community is a immunity system. People think Bitcoin's toxic now. Y'all got no fucking idea. People coming to my house, bothering my wife, better job, all kinds of craziness. Like I having to pull guns on people because they wouldn't leave, like all kinds of weird stuff. But it's interesting that the ferocity of the Bitcoin network from an inside actor was so... And I, and I, Oh no, Marshall, I think we're we're losing you. Q, can you hear Marshall all right? Okay. Let's keep going. It sounds like you guys can hear each other, okay? Okay, you can hear me. Q's crapping out, but you can hear me all right. Let's keep going. All right, Marshall, can you try setting your video connection a little bit lower? So if you click on a little gear, sorry for the interruption, folks, and then lower the quality of the video, and then we'll dive back in because this is fascinating. All right, Marshall has jumped out. Q's internet is, is garbage. We're talking about two. I got to uh, jump in. This is not my fault, by the way. This is their internet problems. <laughs> I blame you. I blame you, producer Chris. But while we wait for Marshall to be able to jump back in. Oh, he's, he's working on it right now. He's back. Looks like we're good. Huh. All right. I think we're back. Excellent. Excellent. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Everything good? We good here? 
So changing the box size, really, what, it, what I've only recently come to realize after reflecting upon it and talking to many people is it was about setting a precedent of, of changing the consensus. And the, the more and more you do that, the less and less viable your product becomes. You take away the hardness that is Bitcoin. You take away um, one of the core tenets of Bitcoin, meaning that, and this is why it's you're a bad fiduciary if you mine Bitcoin, or you mine Ethereum with other people's money, or you stake Ethereum with other people's money, because you have a track record of consensus changes. You have a track record of messing with the network you have a track record of forking which means you are a bad fiduciary in your responsibility if you participate in that if that makes sense therefore the that's kind of only recently come to like the real reason why it was so bifurcating and some people disagree with that and so that spawned off bitcoin cash which then spawned off bitcoin sv so and i spent a significant amount of my career fighting lightning i thought it was too complex segregated witness was too complex was never going to happen the reality is they are complex they're really insane engineering obstacles to overcome but as Bitcoin gets older and older, it should become harder and harder to change. It should become harder and harder to co-opt. And that's what I learned starting Bitcoin Classic. So I was wrong. Everybody else that was on the other side was right. One of the things that I have come to really appreciate about you, Marshall, which is really unusual in the space, is that you're able to talk about these things in a really candid way and acknowledge the things that the community has learned that you have learned and then like grow together. And I initially, like you and I became really good friends because of our experience starting PlebNet, right? Like you were someone who was as excited as I was like, let's fucking go. Like, let's figure out, can we break this thing? Like, how does it work? Like, how do we figure out the economic incentives? How do we create systems that allow us to profit as routing nodes? And to be honest, like, I didn't even understand the, the depth of the history that you had in the space until later, like, you know, after that. And I, I just want to give you like really mad props for being able to talk about this stuff in such a candid way and acknowledge those things because very, very few people can, very few people are able to, to do that. So, well, and that's one of the things I learned, man, after classic kind of blew up right on the heels of Cripsy blowing up. And the people who knew me really well knew I didn't have any like ill intent or I didn't do anything yeah. wrong. It's just like the approach was not right. I, I tried to just kind of like go away from Bitcoin for a little bit. So I started an esports company and, and kind of just was mining and left everything kind of alone. That was the wrong thing to do. It's it's It allows people to kind of like put words in your mouth because you're not there to rebut. It allows people to kind of craft stories and narratives that aren't true. And so had I just said, hey, guys, I kind of fucked up and this isn't the right way to do things, I probably wouldn't have had such a hard Bitcoin career. But, you know, that's that's part of the open source community life. You know, the guys at Linux have same similar stories, lots of infighting. That's the nature of a hardened system. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why Linux is the most widely used operating system on the planet. I'll go further. I think that that conflict that open discussion and the testing of the various strategies is actually essential. Actually, it's what, it's what you're saying here. It's That is an essential piece of why these systems are so robust. 
And I think being able to acknowledge that rather than then like falling into the the kind of standard group thing all the time takes a lot of courage and it's fucking awesome. So yeah, man. Thank you, sir. I'm gonna I'm gonna sidebar real quick. Somebody said, Why are so many people going to Africa? Like you don't have to go there. There are many people that are local doing the stuff that you want to do, helping rural people already. Why not support the cause instead of being Superman yourself? So that's actually what what is happening so there's a a company called gridless compute you should check out those are the guys that are actually doing it i just went there to learn what they're doing see if i could help in any way met up with some local people at a, at a meetup etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's that's actually what's happening just just so just to clarify that point what is gridless compute let's talk more about that so they're i just recently got to know them some of their investors introduced me to them so that's their business model. They it's, It was started by three Africans, one South Sudanese, one Kenya, one from Kenya, and the other person is from Ghana, I think. And that's that's what they're doing. The business model I just ex- described where they're partnering with power generators, giving them hosting machines inside the turbine house in order to allow the generators to sell power, effectively sell power in exchange for Bitcoin. And because they're able to monetize otherwise unmonetizable assets, they are then dropping the power price for local communities. And then the local communities can stop cooking with paraffin and local communities can start using more power because it's more affordable. And the best way to kind of like improve people's quality of life is just cheap and abundant power. And that's that's what gridless compute actually does. So yeah, if, if it sounded like I was the person doing this, absolutely not. I went there, learned about it. It's really cool. Just trying to help where I can. Love it. Mm-hmm. So, what are some wanna, of the other? Go ahead, yeah. Real, real quick, I want to throw this question out there because Marshall, I think what you what you've done, especially in this conversation, is something that very few people are willing to do, which is be really honest with their past mistakes and like own own it and say, "Hey, that was probably not the way to think this through. That was not the right course of action. Glad it didn't work out, and I'm glad we're on this next path." Are there other mistakes? you have seen made in Bitcoin specifically, and I'm not saying like, oh, they worked on Bitcoin and then they went and created a shit coin, but just Bitcoin products specifically that you think maybe looking back aren't as good or have not accomplished what they set out to accomplish when they were first released. Oh yeah, there's tons of them. And almost all of them aren't from lack of like good intent or altruistic intentions or any of that. Almost all of them are because people underestimate the engineering obstacle that is building on top of Bitcoin. So like people that have started merge mine type projects, they it's just really hard to get miners to mine your backwards compatible chain so you can leverage Bitcoin security. Companies like- Can uh, you define merge mine just for the- Sure. Points? So merge mining is a, is technically where you have a separate chain, but your block header is reverse compatible with Bitcoin's block header. So when you find a nonce that works for Bitcoin, you can shove that into the block header of this other child chain and provide consensus for free effectively to this other chain. So the, that was one early days that tons of people were doing. And it's just hard because maintaining multiple nodes especially for a shit coin chain just doesn't work regardless if it's not that much of a lift for us to mine that chain every time your chain breaks and i have to go and reconfigure my bitcoin node to fix everything which it just a 
opportunity cost of turning off your Bitcoin node as a miner is too high. It's like it's that's basically like table stakes for everything for this shitter coin. There is still a little bit that happens now. Also, people building on top of it, like I think there's a project called RGB. Really cool ass project, but it's just like a huge monumental engineering lift to get done. And most of the projects I see in Bitcoin that have failed are because of that. The engineering is so crazy that it's just hard to get done in the amount of time that you have money in the bank to pay people to get it done. A, a friend of mine I, who invested in Lightning Labs, we are having a discussion about there are a few, he, he claims there are a few Bitcoin companies that are so important to Bitcoin that they must survive and they will always raise money even though they don't have a good business model. So Lightning Labs, some of the verticals of Blockstream, just because the the brain trust that is in those companies and the amount of infrastructure that's being built on top of those systems from a company standpoint, business standpoint, don't actually make any sense. But from an ecosystem standpoint, they are a must. Therefore, those companies will be perpetually funded. So that's something that's quite unique to Bitcoin that I don't think any other chain has is that investor mentality. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I, I would I buy that argument. And I definitely know many, many big funds that have that investment thesis as well. They see it as they invest in these underpinnings and that makes their assets balloon in value because they've bolstered it from the bottom. So that's that's also something that's quite unique. I want to shift slightly instead of continuing to bash on the negatives of of everything, but you know, the positives, because there are also a lot of especially in the spare market, a lot of very interesting things being developed. I'd love just your thoughts on what technologies are most exciting to you right now that are being developed that you see will have the biggest potential over the course of this next decade. I will just say that Fetty, Fettyment in general, and Obi Nwosu's company Fetty, building on top of Fettyment, is something that is very unique. And I think building it on top of Lightning makes for a very, very compelling use case for the way I like to see and do and live my life. So I am not a subscriber to the don't trust verify mentality. That's where a lot of arguments in the Bitcoin classic days started from. I am a trust and verify type individual. Trusting is easier. Trusting is faster. And in general, if you do your business right and you have aligned business incentives, trusting is fine. Where you get in trouble is where you don't verify and there's not a mechanism to punish bad actors. So, P, you might disagree with this, but I think, in fact, you do agree with this. When we started PlebNet, we didn't care about anybody's privacy. We didn't care about anybody's identity. We wanted to open channels with each other because we knew each other and we trusted each other. And we just wanted to you know, play around with Lightning. That took an enormous amount of trust for me to have your IP address for your home and to not completely ass-blast your network. That's true. Plebnet was a whole exercise in trust and verify, and it helped a lot of people. I think Plebnet still has like 30, 40% of the nodes running on Lightning with that model, trust and verify. And so what Fedimint allows you to do is to build assets on top of Bitcoin and Lightning, where you start federated. It's, it's a federated Xiaomi and Mint 
where let's say plebnet could have their own maybe we'll call it pleb usd maybe it's a stable coin that rides on top of bitcoin whatever but only the people inside of plebnet use it and interact with each other and it's all off chain and you can see how far i've come because in the plastic classic days i was like everything needs to be on chain and this is the right way to do it so i can make more money as a miner but you really hinder decentralization because of that so what federated chami and mints allows you to do is have these siloed communities that all interoperate with just their own circle and from that those other federations can be cross-operable so let's say plebnet one and two maybe umbral has a community for example right and we want pleb usd to interoperate with umbral usd the people who are the guardians in that federation can make their chain cross-compatible and it all runs on bitcoin and it all runs on lightning and it's super mega ultra private because when i make a a private key to be in this federation, the private key gets sharded amongst all the guardians and amongst all the members. So even people in the, my own federation don't know who I am, don't know how much money I have, and they don't need to know. So it's like a, a better zero knowledge proof than anything that is being built today. So I'm most excited about Fediment. Do you have any opinions about the work that's been done with a tarot and lightning labs? So I am just now starting to dig in on tarot. Educate me, please. Honestly, I'm still learning myself. I mean, I think it is. It's like the next RGB, right? Yeah, exactly. The reason I mentioned it is because you, you mentioned RBG recently. And I, I know that, that I think it can do most of the things that RGB, you know, purports to be able to, or tempting to do. So I think of them as kind of not necessarily competitors, but analogous or parallel mm -hmm. systems. And I think it can do more. Yeah, that's the extent of my knowledge as well. <laughs> so I know that everybody who is a big fan of Fediment is also a huge fan of that. So that's actually on my list for next week to start digging into the paper and seeing what they've got going on over there. Got it. One of the things that, that you posted about relatively recently that I thought was super cool on Twitter was taking single board single boards out of, I think, was it S19s and running them separately from each other to reduce noise, you know, ventilation requirements, things like that. Am I representing that correctly? Yeah. So the, this is a real interesting time in Bitcoin mining where people are really passionate about mining at home. Damn the cost for a litany of reasons. But that has inspired all kinds of people to have crazy contraptions. There's a guy who runs a company called Crypto Cloaks. They have all kinds of interesting add-ons for machines where you could take the fans off because your wife's complaining they're too damn loud. And you can attach different fans and they like sell 3D printed fan shrouds for different ASICs and machines. There are people who are stripping the hashboards out and dunking them in fluid like in their bathtubs. The, the the plebs are well and alive in the Bitcoin mining community, and it's fucking awesome. Hell yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it's kind of similar to what we were doing with, you mentioned, you know, Plebnet and what, the experimentation that we were willing to do on the Lightning Network, right? Where it's like, when the Lightning Network first came out, it was sort of this idea of hashtag reckless. Like, we don't give a shit. Like, we'll run anything. Like, let's fucking go. Mm. And I, I think it's, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I think you're right. It's this, it's the same kind of mentality, but in the physical hardware space, which is amazing. I have rabbits and also chickens, and I've really been wanting to use, you know, 
the exhaust gas from miners and ASICs to heat those enclosures. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I like fantasizing that in the future, we're going to have ASICs used in, you know, home water heaters and, you know, everything in between in HVAC systems. And absolutely. I, I mean, I've got yeah. a, I've got a prototype I'm working on right now. A buddy, a neighbor has a pool. We're going to heat their pool this winter with an ASIC. Yeah. So yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense, but why would you just waste fucking electricity and gas when you can get the same amount of heat out and also get Bitcoin, right? Like, oh, I think it makes a ton of sense, actually. Yeah. I think it's like, exactly as you put it. It's like, you can either, because correct me if I'm wrong, ASICs are incredibly efficient at converting electricity into yeah. heat. Maybe, yeah, very, very good at it. Right? So it's like, why would you, if you have the opportunity to, in addition to heating a thing that you already need to heat, you already want to heat, if you can generate Bitcoin out of that, like, let's fucking go. Absolutely. The, the amount of like weird nerdy fringe stuff that the mining community is putting out these days is awesome. One of one of our fellow plebnet conspirators, Aaron, she yeah, built yeah. a hot tub out of a miner. Literal like a Coleman inflatable hot tub strapped an S9 to it and like made a whole wiki on how to do it. So if you want to learn how to make a inflatable hot tub using a Bitcoin miner, now's a great time because miners are cheap as hell. S9, you could probably get them for free. You yeah. probably get them for free. All right, let's 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 talk Turkey. What if if a person, a friend whose name is also P, is is trying to you know explore this world of of creating you know alternative potentially esoteric heating systems? Right, I've got one miner here, but if I need more, what would you recommend? Would you say S nines? Are there other models that you'd say like I oh, know you can get these the cheapest? What's the right balance of you know? Compute power well, so you're 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 gonna be a when you're doing creative things, you're gonna be a slave to two things. If you can't do 3D modeling on your own, you're gonna need to go to where the 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 kind of industry is for aftermarket support. So that's all Bitmain stuff. So if you go on like Crypto Cloak's website, most of the stuff they sell is for Bitmain devices. But if you can design yourself, then you want to get whatever is cheap because you're probably gonna break it anyway. So you want to get something that is, you know, you can scoop off on eBay for 50 bucks. So S9s right now that kind of fit in that category. And then once you iterate the design, you feel comfortable, then you can get something that's also a little bit more power hungry, but put out a little bit more heat. So, you know, you can get into the, the micro BT stuff, the what's minor stuff. I would say best to start with an S9 because there's tons of aftermarket support for firmware and 3D printed shrouds. And if you need to duck the heat around or you need to do any kind of stuff with fluids, you should start there because there's all kinds of stuff that you can find. If you've got a 3D printer, you can find files online much more readily than anything that What's Miner's got. But if you are adept at the dark arts of 3D engineering, you might want to go down the micro BT path because the machines are a little bit more robust. Got it. Got it. Hmm. I'm just imagining this entire system where it's like you have the, the heat out output, you know, like a, you ever been in a house where they have the centralized vacuum system? Mm -hmm. Like before there was like, oh, like in the wall. Powered? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not really a thing anymore because now you have, you know, the battery technology has gotten good enough that you have like Dyson's that you can just bring anywhere, anywhere or anyway, mm -hmm. rather. But like in the seventies, eighties, it was like the bleeding edge house technology was you had these, you know, in the wall vacuum systems. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking like, man, I wonder if we'll ever live in a, 
ever live in a world where you'll have the same thing. I guess it's already a central heating system. That's literally what a central heating system is. But like, imagine having like, you know, a special unit where you have your, your ASICs and then they just vent the heat and you can just control your house in real time, like where that heat goes. You have a blow dryer, your convection oven, people are uh-huh. just air fryers these days. Why oh, not? Yeah. Why not air fry Power your Power it all with machines? Yeah, with a fucking S9. Makes sense. That would be sick. So the the problem you'll have there is the machines. That the only problem with that hypothesis is the machines don't put out super useful heat. They put out heat that's a little bit too hot to be like comfortable, so it's annoying heat, but it's not hot enough to do anything useful like boil water. So you have to start it as like a pre catalyst to some other kind of thing, if you wanted to like cook or something like that. Maybe like preheat your oven with an ASIC or something like that. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Cooking a Thanksgiving turkey with an ASIC. Let's go. Dude, you should totally do it. Wait, you gotta do a video like that. Just like wreck a bunch of S9s. So I've thought it. about sous videing a steak oh, in an That's immersion tank. Yeah. So because we've got a lot of immersion miners anyway, and I want to sous vide a steak in the fluid because the fluid's like the fucking perfect temperature for it. Perfect. Perfect medium rare. Just you leave it in there. It, bro. I, I need to get my shit together. Start getting so, after it, you know? That's a little too cooked, honestly, for Pete Rizzo's taste, in case you were okay. going to write. Pete Rizzo is a savage borderlining on cannibal, okay? So might not might not take his food advice. I've known Pete many years. I've seen him eat many weird things. Wait, I'm, I'm out of the loop here. What are we talking about? Does he, like, eat raw steak? Rizzo... In Amsterdam, ordered a raw steak, and his response when he saw it was, "This is too cooked." <laughs> it's literally just a slab of raw meat. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. He, he prefers to chew on things that are still alive, sew them back up, keep on Makes trucking. Sense. Yeah. Makes sense. All right, where do we go from here, guys? Well, I'd like to hear a little bit more just about you know home mining. I think P, you've talked about a little bit of just different ways you want to heat up your buddy rabbits and then you want to help your your chickens keep their eggs warm as well with asic miners marshall what's the most creative thing you've ever seen someone use their bitcoin miner for to that does not not mining bitcoin though there are people that have built small very small businesses but a business for beef jerky and they use a miner to dehydrate the meat instead of a dehydrator Dehydrators are fucking expensive. They're not that cheap. And so they made their own with a miner. Another guy I met made a pasta dryer with a with a machine. So you make fresh pasta, you dry it out, and he also does like ramen that way. So he just makes noodles and uses a machine to... Because the nice thing about, about miners is you can control the heat really precisely by controlling the frequency and the power usage of the chips. And so apparently in pasta drying, like following a very specific up and down curve with humidity and heat is super important so that the noodles don't crack. I learned a lot about noodle production and he says it's perfect for it. So what is uh, your favorite noodle? Listen, man, I don't like to talk about carbs in public. Okay. It's one of my addictions and I'm working on it. Right. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. We all, we all have our demons. We're here to help. This is a safe space. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a very cultured man. I probably only know of like two types of noodles. So I'll just say spaghetti. There you go. It's my favorite type of noodle. You fucking animal. <laughs> I want to talk about a new story that came out recently, reported by No Bullshit Bitcoin. 
Biden administration wants to make it easier to seize Bitcoin without criminal charges. They, uh, they go through and summarize this document. It's buried deep in a 61-page recent report by the U.S. Attorney General. The Biden administration called for dramatic expansion in the federal government's ability to seize and keep cryptocurrency. If enacted, the proposed changes would bolster both criminal forfeiture, which requires a conviction to permanently confiscate property, as well as civil forfeiture, which does not require a conviction or even criminal charges to be filed. They are specifically arguing that it's unclear if this is already the case, but apparently the federal government can use administrative forfeiture to take almost anything aside from real estate and property valued at more than $500,000. You guys heard about this? Yeah. So civil asset forfeiture has been a thing for a long time. So this is why, like, if you go through TSA with, like, gold bars, they're taking your shit because they can't. And there's nothing you can do about it. So this is why people, like, if they need to transport something that's very valuable, they won't fly commercial, they'll fly private because the the just get on a plane and there's no TSA. So that's the biggest that's the biggest threat to you yourself flying commercial is civil asset forfeiture. The best part about Bitcoin, how the fuck are you gonna enforce it? How? You gonna make me unlock my phone? Nah. You shouldn't have a lot of Bitcoin on your phone anyway. What are you gonna do? Come to my house? Great, come through. Maybe I've got Maybe I have a 15 of 15 fucking multi-sig that's in 15 different countries. You can't get my Bitcoin. So the, the, that's all well and good. Bitcoin doesn't give two shits. If you have, I'll say what Francis Pouliot says best. If you have a significant amount of Bitcoin, you should be quitting your job and focusing full-time on how to protect your Bitcoin. And there's many strategies. There's many ways to do it. And Bitcoin privacy that's the best part about Bitcoin is if you have Bitcoin and you memorize your 24-word seed, how the fuck are they going to get it from you if you destroy every other trace of it? If you memorize 24 words, you got your Bitcoin, period. End of story. How are they, gonna, how are they going to take it from you? They're going to have to kill your family and pull your fingernails out, and you can still not give it to them. I like so that. that in that example, it went one and then the other. They're going to kill your family right. first, and then right. it's when they pull your fingernails out that you're going to be like, all right, fine. Correct. And then even if you wanted to give it to them, they might have to go to a different jurisdiction to get your shit. Bitcoin is ultimately portable. Bitcoin is ultimately obfuscatable if you choose so. If you keep 100 Bitcoin on your phone, you deserve to get your shit stolen. Mm-hmm. 100%. Which is why we always talk about on the show, like the importance of understanding and safely taking steps. <laughs> Guy said, you can make another family. Fuck it. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you can make another family. That's right. What do you think of the, all the noise that's happening recently around like CBDCs? Do you think oh, that? Oh God, I love it. I think it's the fucking greatest. Let me tell you why. Yeah, please do. What they're saying, opinion. what they're saying out loud now is what we have pontificated as a community for a decade. Right. We are very much at the tail end of the fight where they're trying to do something better, but they're not even concealing the fact that they're going to weaponize it against you. I was at a private conference at JP Morgan. Don't you fucking judge me. And this is emanations of judgment, just they, waves of it. One of the speakers there was the director of the IMF. His name's Tobias. And the moderator of the panel asked him, 
what does the IMF think about El Salvador? This was last year. He said, El Salvador has gone too far, blah, blah, blah. And then started talking about how CBDCs were great. And he said verbatim, and I'll send you the video later. He said verbatim, if I don't like what you say, I can turn your money off. He just said that out loud. Like they're just, they're, they, it's like that, that press conference from the Eagles. They are who we thought they were. It's all the shit that we have talked about. They are saying out loud now. And the fact that they think CBDCs are going to save their sinking ship is fucking hilarious. These goons, banks are Ponzi schemes run by morons. The Fed is fucking off the rails. It's all going to burn down and you can throw whatever fucking CBDC you want at it. I don't give two shits and neither does Bitcoin because we're going to keep on chugging. We're going to have our self-sovereignty. There ain't a goddamn thing you can do about it. I think that the scary thing there is the fact that they're willing to say that out loud. I think a huge portion of Americans believe that that is a just and reasonable thing. I think a lot of people, I think the battleground that's being fought right now is, you know, PSYOP style convincing people that centralized entities are the best people to decide whether or not you get access to your money. I feel like maybe like five or 10 years ago, that was the case. But now with so much shit going wrong and backfiring on these fucking morons and people who have more ready access to information than we've ever had before, it is, there are less and less people. So I'll give you a perfect example. I was at a, a farm just last week, walking around with some of my family members, and there was like some tourists and stuff. And I was wearing this shirt that has a Bitcoin logo. It's for the nonprofit. Seven people who I've never met before in my entire life asked me, hey, are you in Bitcoin? I have some questions. And I'm like, sure. Seven times within two hours in the middle of fucking nowhere, Texas. During a bear and, market. And they're all young. That's the key. The people who are coming up are all young, and they know that this shit's broken. They know just because they've been alive for 2008, 2009. They've been alive for COVID. They've been alive for fucking Nord Stream 2 getting blown up. They've they've been alive for all the fucking bullshits that's been pepper, perpetrated throughout this decade. There is an inherent distrust in the system more now than ever. So while I might not have agreed a decade ago that people are going to be lulled into, you know, slavery, I don't think I think the tide's going the other way now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Key, what do you think? And you're muted. It's his first time. Give him a break. All right, fair enough. Bye, bad. Someone's got to pull a pee, and I guess it's been me this week, but I'm just curious. What do you think has triggered this shift in rhetoric? Because is it are we now paying better attention to it and catching those clues that have always been there, but we were just sort of oblivious to them or is it, they're just becoming more audacious and just, we could say whatever we want. No one's going to really care. That's a good, I don't think it's, we're paying more attention. I think they're just saying the shit out loud that they used to be saying behind closed doors, you know? Um, and the meme culture is so strong. That people can immediately see that the the meme circulating about inflation is transitory is like a perfect snapshot of what you know this generation has actually done. 
it's so easy to expose the horse shit now through memes and people gravitate to it. Memes are literally changing the fucking world and the tone of geopolitics. It's awesome. I do want to, I love making this clarifying point. Memes have always existed. Memes were just predated by political cartoons and political no, cartoons I... predated by hieroglyphics. Memes have <laughs> always existed for society and humanity. I think you're right, but the the ability to to disseminate them rapidly, the ability to disseminate them without the or with less of the approval from the entities that are publishing those things has dramatically increased. Yeah, let me tell you, Chair Force should probably not be given the free right to make as many memes as he does, but loves Chair thing. Force. We can't control Chair Force. Nobody can. Well, so let me ask you, let me let me present this question to the two of you. In 2022, we really get fed this idea that, oh my God, like the world has never been so divisive. It's black or white, this or that. But to your point, Pete, I really think a part of it is like our society has always been like this. These ideas have long existed and the distribution of these ideas has not actually ever significantly shifted or changed. But because of the advent of the internet, because of our ability to share information so immediately, it feels as though the, these ideas, these conversations have become more prevalent when in fact they're just becoming more prevalent in, to Marshall's point, public settings whereas some of these things were maybe just said behind closed doors privately, but now everyone shares how many shits they take on Instagram and all of the, every move they ever make all over social media, it's turned into, oh my God, it's polarizing when in fact it's like, no, we just, we overshare now. Mm -hmm. There's so much information. So it looks like our society has crumbled when in fact it's like, no, we just, we finally shone a light on ourselves and we just don't like what we see. There's a lot of words there. There was a lot of words, but essentially the question was like, has our society actually shifted or do you think that because we have access to more information at a quicker pace, it looks as though our society has shifted? Mm, I think any new technology people scream about and, and yell about, right? You can see when the printing press was, you know, first a thing, people were like, oh, the common people, their brains can't handle the truth. Because previously it was like the, the you know, the, the church and priests that had access to the written word, right? And then like, literally it was like same memes, like same, same comments, like there's too much noise. When books, you know, as people started reading more, you know, you can find pictures from not that long ago, like within the last, you know, 100, 200 years of like people reading while eating. And there's like people reading on like corners, like lined up and they're like, you see, they're glued to their fucking books like the real world is the only one that matters like fuck these people and the goddamn bookworms and now it's the same thing but with like with phones so i think people always are scared of the newest information dissemination system and at the same time i do think that and i know i'm taking it a slightly different direction than what you asked but the ability for companies to fine tune the strategies that they use to manipulate our brains for profit because the feedback cycle has gotten so much tighter, right? If you had to have a, a printed book, you couldn't like be sampling in real time like how people are responding to this. With like Twitter and the ads that are, you know, and Google ads and everything, you they're basically trying to hack our 
dopaminergic systems in order to activate our reward systems to keep us fixated and engaged with these applications. I think that is genuinely a new thing, and I think that is potentially dangerous. I think it's really hard for us as humans to effectively use our will to do what is best for us when we're constantly confronted with these these stimulatory or this constant stimulation. I think that is a new thing, and I think we're learning as as a culture right now in real time how to mitigate that as individuals because we definitely cannot trust entities like Apple or Google or Twitter to mediate that for us, even as they try to present that. They try to be like, we're, you know, screen time metrics. Like Apple's trying to protect you. They're not trying to protect you. They're trying to figure out how they can continue to do what they're doing while still presenting you with, while still earning ad revenue from you. I don't know. Marshall, what do you think? I agree with it. I've tried a few times to kind of drop off these kind of platforms that monetize your privacy, basically. Look, if Google, let me ask you, if Google offered a service where they would attest by like a third party or something and give you proof that they would never sell your info. I'm not even talking about, you you might still get ads, but they're not going to monetize you that the way they monetize you now. Would you pay a thousand bucks a year for that service? Interesting. I actually don't know that I would pay a thousand bucks. I would pay a thousand bucks if I could not be shown ads. I find ads so egregious. So you you care more about not seeing ads than somebody selling your privacy. Yeah, when you put it like that, that does seem like an insane statement to make. I mean, in I, general, I would say absolutely. Yeah. And but that's never going to happen. And so the 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 problem with trying to drop off the face for me personally is I like connection with people. I'm an extrovert. I like to connect with people on all mediums, virtual, in person, whatever. And I find that the more removed I get from these services, Twitter, Discord, Zoom, whatever, the lonelier I find myself. And that's not necessarily a problem everybody deals with, but it's much easier to have a community online and have access to more people when you are in that system. And that's my personal hangup is I have tried to, you know, graphene OS, I'm working on that kind of stuff, but like, it's a lonely road, man. And it's, you know, it's, it's lonely at the top, dog. You know what I mean? So that, that's my head. only takeaway from there, you know? Yeah. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I couldn't do graphene either. I had to switch to Calyx. Really? Why? I'm uh, in the middle of the transition right now, so I haven't done so- Calyx shit. For the audience, these are privacy-focused distributions for of Android OS. So you can get a you know a Pixel device or several other Android-supporting phones, and then you can you know wipe the Google-installed spyware essentially and install these you know independently created and operated uh, operating systems. Graphene is the most extreme. You're not able to use Google services at all with Graphene. So a lot of the things that the average person, myself included, need in order to be able to do my job, interact with my friends, are not available. If you're the most privacy focused, people tend to use Graphene, but I couldn't do it. Calyx OS, they're, they're all, you know, Graphene and Calyx are, you know, friends. They're all, uh, they're, I think, I believe that Calyx was a fork of Graphene or it might've been the other way around. Regardless, they, you know, cross-pollinate constantly, but Calyx OS is a little bit more open, still very, very privacy focused, but uses a, I forget what the name of the, the tool is, but essentially it allows you to still interact with Google services and 
it creates sort of anonymous accounts. So you can still download stuff from the Play Store. So Marshall, I would suggest trying to use Calyx. It's uh, it's a lot easier to wean yourself to that rather than trying to go full. You know, I have a dumb phone. I never text anybody, and I live in a hole in the ground. There's there's a small part of my brain, the cypherpunk, that really just wants to live in a bunker and never talk to anybody again. But my parents curse me with the extrovert gene, and I just it's fucking hard, man. It's really, really hard. Yeah, it's not possible. Tell, tell you what, Marshall, I will join you because I have the same curse where every single time I go like into isolation for a month and then I go interact with any human being, I'm like, oh, that's right. I am an extrovert. I need human, like in-person human interaction. You get the bunker next door to my bunker. Mm-hmm. No one else near us. Mm-hmm. I love this plan. Yeah, Marshall's like, uh, how did how did I walk myself into this nightmare? <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm slowly trying to ease into it because I want to be that person that can use graphene. I want to be that person, but god damn, it's hard. It's really hard to just have like, yeah, this is a phone that takes calls and texts, right? It's like can't use Twitter. You can, like, you can't do anything, and that's the point, right? Is nobody can track you because you not you don't do shit. You know, so that's like the, that, that's the, the inherent issue that I am running up into right now is maybe I'm just too ADHD to not do anything. I don't know. You need both, my friend. What do you think about the, the, well, I want to, I want to stay on this real quick. I, I'm just going to keep asking. Just eat like, shoes and no one will never hang out with you again. Problem solved. Right. Damn. Oh, no one oh, hits God. close. No one hits close. How fucking dare you? <laughs> God, it's ass. I'm going to need a moment. Chris got his mic. <laughs> if do you think that you know Tom, who is a Bitcoiner, Tom from MySpace, is a Bitcoiner? And is he a had, Bitcoiner? He is a Bitcoiner. That's he sold up. MySpace, went and bought Bitcoin with it. Tom, what a long time viewer. I'm in your DMs constantly. Would love to have you on the show, man. Well, Tom's my friend. You know, same. He was all same. our friends. Yeah. But I think same. it can be said, yeah, he's all of our friends. That's the beauty of Tom. Bro, Tom never sold my shit to anybody. Exactly. Okay. Dude, his uh, site might have sucked, okay, uh, and it might have allowed many people to accidentally ha- hack the site, but he ain't never sold my data, okay. That's right, that's right. Beach, like to your point, I think every single young person, especially in America, would be a far more skilled coder had they stuck to MySpace and not Facebook. But did Tom ring a bell that our society probably should not have had wrong, which is like the the creation and then further use of social media or will would someone else have just come along and created this it's interesting right because myspace wasn't the first but it was the first with like mass adoption right like i think friendster and some others came first but i guess i don't know specifically what myspace did right that others hadn't but i think humanity in general longs for connection I think it's people tend to gravitate towards micro communities that understand them. Everybody's fucking weird. Everybody like feels that nobody understands them. Nobody gets along. But when you find those people, it's it's very it's one thing to be loved, but it's profound to be understood. And the people that can come across that in communities and sub communities really gravitate that in any form or fashion. And I think human nature would have if it wasn't MySpace, it definitely would have been something else. I think that was the deepest thing I've ever heard you say. It's one thing to be loved. 
It's profound to be understood. It's true, man. Like, the fact that you have a fucking wife is like, that doesn't think you're a fucking weirdo lunatic, or maybe does think you're a weirdo lunatic, but doesn't make you sleep on the couch every fucking night. That's a big definitely, deal. Definitely thinks deal. he's a lunatic. Like a big fucking deal. It's true. I'm so lucky. I count my blessings every day. I look in the mirror. I'm like, how the fuck did this happen? But that's just like inherent nature, you know? People people want to be around other people who... I'm going to tell you a real weird fucking story that really sums this up. Hit us with it. That that cross-pollinates with Bitcoin. So 2013, I went to Seattle to find... To look at a data center space for a new co-location. And... We get to the hotel and it's all cool. And then we get in the car, drive to the site, spend the day, come back in the afternoon. And it's like five, six o'clock. We walk back into the hotel and there is a fucking sea of people in this hotel who are wearing like furry costumes and my little pony stuff. And, and I just was like, what the fuck? And so me and my then girlfriend, I went up to a guy and I was like, what is going on? And he goes, oh. This is the world's largest brony convention. Would you like to join? For those of you who don't know, bronies are full-grown male and females who really enjoy My Little Pony. Friendship is Magic, the TV show. And I, he, he was just like, come through. I got an extra ticket. Bring your chick. Let's roll. And I was like, I looked at her, and she was like, let's get weird. And I was like, all right. So we went in. It's the first place I ever tried VR. And so then, like, we hung out, checked out the convention a little bit, and then we went back to our room, and a, a note slides under my door. And we had just finished dinner, and it was like, come down to this and this ballroom. There's a party. And I was like, all right, cool. So we went down, and this is just hundreds and hundreds of people dressed up as My Little Pony figures and furries and, like, the most fringed people of society all hanging out, raging their asses off, like doing lines of coke with each other, like the most insane party I've ever seen. Nobody is the same. Everybody's weird. Everybody's different. And they're all just raging. And there was something so fucking awesome about that experience. Nobody's judging each other. Everybody's just being their weird ass fucking selves in front of them. And that experience is like a microcosm of what the actual human experience is. It's just everybody just wants to kick it and get along. Nobody actually wants to be a dick. They're just a dick because somebody else was a dick to them. And if people can just kind of vibe and chill and not care about anything else, it's actually a pretty dope experience. And so that's why I think that like the social media movement would have gained traction in some form or another. I love it. I think you're absolutely right. I know that for me, you know, coming out of like all the COVID lockdowns, that was definitely my experience. Like you and I met originally on Clubhouse and it was like a similar thing. Like we would just get into these rooms and just like scream about whatever the fuck and Bitcoin. <laughs> and we all come from such different backgrounds and such different experiences, but we're all united by this. The fact that we care deeply about. Yeah. See, Bitcoin. somebody said my little pony is dope. I learned a lot about people from there. See, tell you, man, bronies are fucking lit. Everybody should be a brony. Because they got their <laughs> shit figured out, man. That's the pull quote. That's the pull quote for the episode. Q, I feel like you've been holding your tongue while Marshall and I just like riff and, and talk about the old times. 
No, I'm I'm enjoying being a a participant in this conversation while the two of you just say some of the craziest, most outlandish things, and then it triggers a crazier question from me to then Fair trigger enough. said crazy responses. I to be honest, I feel like this dynamic has worked really well. Yeah, I mean, I mean we're, we're we're killing it for sure, Marshall. I wonder what are the I forget if we already talked about this during this this conversation. We talk about it a lot, but it's very interesting to me the differences between each of the bull and bear cycles as Bitcoin gains greater and greater adoption over time. And I've only been in the space since 2017, but I remember, you know, or rather, you know, 2016, let's say, but I didn't understand Bitcoin until much later. But it's very interesting to see to me to to experience the difference between you know the 2018 bear market where everyone and their mother was like, "See, I told you, Bitcoin was a fucking scam!" Like ah, and everybody was was you know removing Bitcoin payment systems. Still, they were distancing themselves from the idea of Bitcoin. Whereas now we're in this we're in a a more significant bear market in terms of percentage decrease than we were even then. But more and more companies, huge companies, BlackRock, who we were shitting all over earlier they're still actively putting out PR and talking about Bitcoin and how they are working to adopt it. What are, what are your experiences in terms of those differences? That's one example from my own personal experience. But what are some of the other differences that you've experienced between this bear market and the last bear market? It's, it's interesting because this is the first bear market we have seen that has kind of cross-pollinated and shows a lot of things from when Bitcoin first came out. When Bitcoin first came out on the heels of the economic crisis, so fucking global meltdown, all this shit. This is the first time that it's happening again, but Bitcoin's more prevalent now. So all the things that you know are in the cypherpunk manifesto and all the things that Satoshi wrote about are happening again. And this is the first time that we're actually seeing Bitcoin as a bit of a hedge against the the psycho lunatics that are running the world economy. And so and Bitcoin's actually stood up quite well. You see the S&P just taking a huge shit. We kind of front ran that. You're seeing Bitcoin as, I'll run it back to before COVID. So in March, when Bitcoin had that huge dip, everything dipped. And that's because in times of great panic, people flee to cash, always, fiat, always. And that includes all hard assets, gold, Bitcoin, real estate, everything took a huge shit. But Bitcoin was the first to recover. Bitcoin recovered within a month. Everything else took six months to recover. And now you're saying Bitcoin as the true hedge that we thought it was. While everything is still going down, as you so eloquently put it, Bitcoin's just kind of sideways crabbing along. So this is the first bear market that we have seen Bitcoin stack up against the world like it did when it first came out. But now a lot more people know about it and a lot more people are vying again to have Bitcoin as a hedge against the psychopaths. Got it. Got it. Marshall, I have one final question for you. When Boone? <laughs> Listen, we're already there, dude. Okay? And we're only halfway up. All right? We're at the tippy top of the mountain, and we're only halfway up. All right? So you're saying the top is only 40K? And we're only halfway up. You fucking okay? bear. We'll always only be halfway up. Marshall, I want to give you the chance 
as we wind this down to make fun of the two of us, share with our audience any final thoughts or just bring up anything that you did not have the opportunity to discuss because we are bozos who didn't ask you about it. Sure. You can, we can roast people in the chat too. Shout out to the guy that roasted me for thinking that I was co-opting Africa. Good call out. <laughs> Shout out to Ansel Lindner, who has wrote a defamatory blog post about me early days. Shout out. Shout we'll out. We'll be on in about two minutes. So I look forward to banger. We're going to put you and Ansel together on camera. Perfect. Shout out to, look, at the end of the day, it's all about mining. Okay. Always has been, always will be. If you're not stacking hash and slapping ass, you're fucking up. All right. Simply put, that's that's it. That's all you can say. That's, that's the tweet. Yeah. Man, thank you so much for joining us, Marshall. I uh, we have a lot of fun. Some the the conversations that we had, as I mentioned earlier. I feel like an old fucking man, but I'm like, remember the days on Clubhouse when we used to yell at each other about cloacas and chickens? Absolutely Sorry, incredible. But what what has changed? Pause. Ab what has absolutely. actually changed? Yeah, absolutely nothing. The only difference is that, you know, it's, uh, it's on camera now. It's on camera. It's on camera. It's on camera. Only change. But yeah, man, I, I, I appreciate you. And I've learned an incredible amount from you. And I don't think you get enough credit in the space. So thank you for joining us. I appreciate you. And you guys are uh, crushing it, man. I, I think this show is exactly what BTC Media needed. I've been good friends with David for a long time. And you guys really are crushing the game. The, the fact that this is running like clockwork and that you guys are really entertaining hosts. You ride the line between raunchy and awesome perfectly. I think you guys are uh, you guys are fucking crushing the game. Well, thanks, man. We appreciate those kind words. The Bitcoin that was agreed upon will be in your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, my friends. Let's let's go to a brief commercial reminder. If you have not already, tickets for Bitcoin twenty twenty three are available using code BMLive. You can say ten percent on that purchase. Also, the physical magazine is available. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. The censorship resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.